Hey friends, I'm Naeem Fazl, the pastor of Mosaic Church, and today I want to talk to you about this idea, uh, and it's kind of cheesy, but it's called leading while bleeding. I know it's a little cheesy, but it's so true. I think a lot of us these days right now, we are leading while we are bleeding. I uh, was talking to someone the other day, and uh, they're sharing their all the things are going through in life right now. Uh, obviously, we have so many concerns, and you know as a leader that we're trying to shepherd, we're trying to counsel, we're trying to lead people through this pandemic, and we're going through it as well. So as this person was sharing their heart, they're sharing just the hopelessness they feel in humanity, the, the sense of um, a lack of peace, not a uh, overjoy of peace, no, a lack of peace, and their uh, serious doubts about God I thought to myself in the middle of that counseling session, man, I think I feel the same way. And so I had this moment where I was like, man, I'm trying to save this person from drowning, but I'm having a hard time keeping myself afloat. It's like trying to stop someone else from bleeding while you're bleeding out yourself. I don't know about you, but I feel that. And I think so many of us feel this. And the leadership challenge for us in this pandemic is realizing that us, we leaders, we are bleeding while we are leading. And the truth is, for some of us, we're okay about just talking about it. Others of us, we're not. And for, if you find yourself thinking, no, 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 I'm okay and I need to be okay, let me just tell you, there's nothing about the situation is okay. Nothing about this pandemic, nothing about this uh, year is okay. And if you find yourself going, yo, no, no, Naeem, my, 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 my family's good, my kids are good. I mean, well, gratefully, we haven't had anything happen. I'm thinking, yes, I agree with you. But you know, people you love, people you pastor, people you lead, those people are going through all kinds of things. So when they're not okay, and if you care and you feel, you're not okay. See, we have to understand as leaders, as we're walking through the season, that this situation is calling, causing all of us to bleed a little bit, but it's also asking us to lead. Now, the good thing about that is that the scriptures tell us that, uh, that, that our high priest, Jesus, actually gave us permission to feel all the feelings. And Hebrew tells, Hebrews 4 tells us that we have a high priest that who's sympathetic, who understands our weaknesses. So he gives us permission to feel all these things. So if you find yourself as a leader going, I'm not even quite sure what I believe right now. I'm going through ups and downs. I'm low-key depressed even on days. I just want you to know Jesus gives us permission as leaders to feel, but then he also gives us the power to change. And so I believe that this season right now, we have a challenge as leaders, as we are bleeding and leading, we have a challenge to step into an interesting moment. So first of all, I think we need to understand that since all of us are going through this, we can be sympathetic leaders. We can relate to people. But I want us to move us to being leaders that have empathy, not just sympathy. See, sympathy means I can relate. I understand your pain. I've been there. I'm going through the same thing. And see, as leaders, we, we bank on that, right? We can relate to people. I mean, that's the key to sometimes ministry. But I think God uh, asks us in this time to actually move from this being a sympathetic leader to actually being a leader that's empathetic. See, empathy means I cannot relate. I cannot relate because uh, I'm not like you. I don't have your background, but I care enough to just sit here with you. I care enough to just be in this moment with you. See, there's a huge difference there's a huge difference between sympathy and empathy. See, I, I know for one, on any given Sunday at Mosaic Church, uh, I am always the minority and always will be because I'm a Pakistani. Uh, I'm a former Muslim. I grew up in the Arab world and then I came to the States as an immigrant and then started a church in the South. I mean, come on, any diverse church in the South. So any given Sunday, I am the person that not just needs to relate. I'm the person who has to have super amount of empathy because I can't expect people to relate to my background and my childhood. And I can't expect myself to relate to others. But during this time, as we're all going through this pan-traumatic experience, I think we have to move from being people who understand that even though we cannot relate, we're not called to. We're not called to, but we are called to be, uh, 
to have empathy. We are called to step into those moments. So what's the big difference? What does that look like? What does that even mean, right? So sympathy, in one sense, is about sharing and filling space. If you think about just space, like the space you're in, the space people are in, sympathy says, hey, uh, uh, I can relate, I can fill this space, I can share this space with you. See, empathy says, I'm going to create space for you, and I'm going to hold space for you. You see, there are people who are being, uh, they're, uh, they're bleeding, they're hurting, they're wounded, they're bruised, even being attacked in ways you and I can never understand. And see, we cannot just say, oh, I, I get it. No, we don't get it. You see, you don't understand what it feels like to be a Middle Eastern man uh, every day of my life. You have no idea. I don't expect you to, but I do know that um, we've lived through, I've lived through a world in the U.S., a culture in the U.S. where I was the enemy. And even now, friends, even now, I have to prove to people who visit my church that I'm not this, uh, uh, you know, this spy or this seeker terrorist person. You might think that's crazy, but see, friends, I live in that world, but I don't expect you to understand because I expect us to be leaders who are empathetic, who actually create and hold space, not just fill and um, share space. Holding space for people means that we allow people to, uh, to, to vent, to process. Creating space for them means that we create environments, safe environments for them to have a conversation about race, about prejudice, about biases. See, friends, we as leaders, if we get caught up in just trying to relate, we'll get stuck. But if we focus on being uh, leaders who have empathy, the biggest difference here is not filling and sharing space. No, creating and holding space for other people who are not like you, who are not like me. See, that is the leadership challenge right now. We are all bleeding right now. We're all going through trauma. We all have trauma brain. That's There's no doubt about it. No one is okay. Nothing about this world right now is okay. But we have a challenge, friends. As we lead our people, we have the opportunity to actually not just stand with people who are like us and who are going through the same things, but actually sit with people who are not like us and are bleeding out and hurting in ways that we can never imagine. It's moving from being just a leader who's sympathetic to being a leader who is who has empathy. And see, that's the call of Jesus, isn't it? It's the call of Jesus. He was not like us, but became like us. That's the, that's the gospel in itself. So let me give you a couple of thoughts here. Just three things that I think that you and I can actually use practically as we move through this challenge of leading right now. The first is this. I want you to um, acknowledge your own space. Acknowledge your own space. You have your own headspace. You have your feelings. You have your thoughts. You have your anxieties, your worries, your joys, your beliefs, your doubts. You have all those. But I want you to acknowledge where you are right now. See, even Jesus bled. Even Jesus bled. So it's okay to not be okay. And if you find yourself being pressured to be like, I got to keep it together. I got to bring a message. I got to get a word. I got to do this. You need to start with acknowledging your space. Number two, you have to allow others to share your, your space. You have to allow others to be in your world as a leader. Even Jesus wanted people to pray with him. Think about that. Even Jesus wanted people to pray with him. You need people to pray with you. You need to allow people in your space. And then lastly, you need to create space and hold space for other people. See, even Jesus, who was nothing like us, like I said, became one of us. So this is the challenge for us as leaders. This is the reality we live in. Yes, the world is bleeding out. Yes, the world is going through trauma. But we are leading through it and we are bleeding as well. So my question to you, as you talk about this, as you process this, do you have the maybe the courage? Do you know that you're supposed to do this? You're supposed to acknowledge your space. You need to share your space. And then you need to create space for others. Let's, let's move beyond this idea of just relating to people. 
that we can relate to. Let's let's move into a to um to a wilder category of leadership. Let's move into a space that allows us to be okay with ambiguity. Let's let's move from just relating to actually sitting with to saying I don't understand but I'm with you. Let's not just stand with people, but let's sit with them. So friends, what's your challenge? What are you going to do? What is God saying in this moment for you? Who comes to mind? It's okay to be uh, a leading while you're bleeding. It's okay. But we can do this. God bless. Well, hey, welcome again to the Divided No More uh, conversation, candid conversations from Exponential, from the multipliers, just so excited about the chance to, to dive in today into another uh, uh, video that was a part and is a part of the resource kit that you can register for and receive. We'll, we'll give you more information about that at the end of our time today. But our topic today focuses, uh, just like the video that you just watched, is leading while bleeding. And we have as our guest today, Naeem Fazal. And did I say the last name correctly, Naeem? <laughs> you know what? It sounds better, though. I mean, it's technically Fazal, <laughs> but Fazal sounds regal, number one. And it's well, just, you know, number two, and it's sometimes, just, it has authority. So I'd go with that. There, there you go. There you go. Well, sometimes in, in other, uh, in non-American cultures, the second syllable gets emphasized, right? So, so I wonder, you know, I wasn't sure. I wasn't you know, sure. what's, what, what, you know, it's funny, uh, Jason, this is extra information, but right now my, so I use Siri uh, to, you know, to make calls. And so my wife's name is Ashley Fossil. So every time I say Siri called Ashley Fossil, it, you know, she or he or it or whatever responds back, do you yeah. mean Ashley Fazal? And I'm like, yes, Ashley Fazal. <laughs> so <laughs> you're, you're on to something. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, so I'll say it correctly this time. Naeem Fazal, right? Got that. Yes, yeah. and, and you are the founding pastor of Mosaic Church. Uh, that's in Charlotte, correct? Yes, yes. And, but you're Pakistani-born, raised as a Muslim in Kuwait. You came to the United States in 92 after the Gulf War. That same year, uh, you had a supernatural experience with Christ. It changed the course of your life. Ended up at College of Charleston, which I'm sure was, is an interesting story how <laughs> all of that trans transpired. Uh, ended up joining Seacoast Church on their team, uh, led different ministries, and then they helped send you out, right, along with Art, mm -hmm. to start Mosaic Church in Charlotte. Uh, author of the book, Ex-Muslim, uh, and then get to speak, get to share about that story, which is beautiful. You and your wife, Ashley, this is my favorite part of your bio, by the way. You and your wife, Ashley, have two amazing children, Asher and Nura. Or is it Nura? Yes. Nura. Which one? Yeah. Yeah, there you go. And unfortunately, two cats. That's my favorite part of the bio. Yes. Is the yes. It's true. It's true. You want to know the names too? If yeah, I mean, yes, maybe, yes, you know, yes, our yes. listeners are dying to know the names, right? They are. Since I mean, we're talking we about names. Some cat, we may have some cat fans on on today, yes. so they may want to yes. know. Yeah. Yes. So two cats. One is called uh, Harry. Harry Potter, black cat, and the other one's cat. It's Katniss Everdeen from Hunger Games. Got it. I like yeah. it. I like yeah. it. Wow. Yeah. So Harry and so, Katniss. That's that's yes. pretty solid. Pretty yeah. solid. We Very should just end. This is it. This is it. This is the height of the content right here. <laughs> yeah, I don't know that it I don't know that it can get better. It cannot. So. <laughs> <laughs> well well man, I mean quickly though, because I do think I, I do think it's important for um, our participants to have context. Give just a brief uh, you know story about how that shift, what was that supernatural experience about? Give a summary of that again, just of, of what that was like and what that meant to, meant to you. Yeah, I mean, it is, it's, it is hard to summarize that, but, you know, it, it basically was a, um, it was, I, I, you know, there's a lot of story uh, till, till when I got to the States. You know, my, I have two brothers, two sisters, and my older brother came to faith before I did. And uh, he came to faith and he was in the States. We were in Kuwait and actually the Gulf War took place. So the first war, you know, the Gulf first uh, world, uh, not world war, <laughs> uh, Gulf war took place. And um, so we were stuck there. 
And I knew that my brother had converted to converted to Christ and converted to Christianity. And so he had mentioned it, talked to me about it, and I had threatened to kill him. It was kind of a bad deal. So yeah. I knew that, uh, you know, we would have no, I didn't want anything to do with Jesus or anything like that. And after the war, uh, that's really was a catalyst to it. Because after the war, Kuwait was devastated. I was a foreign national, even though I was born and raised there, kind of complicated, but um, still uh, was not a uh, Kuwaiti. Um, mm. So anyways, I had an option to come to the States to go to college. And so I did. And uh, um, went to, came to college here, heard about the gospel, heard about the supernatural God who want, is pursuing us and all that. And my brother just challenged me and just said, hey, if you ask Jesus to reveal himself, to show himself to you, he'll do it. And I was wow. so intrigued by it. And yeah, I did it. And um, three nights later, he shows up in my room. There's a lot of special effects, a lot of supernatural things. Got yeah. uh, got introduced to demonic stuff, got introduced to a lot of things. Um, and yeah, I met, um, um, he's, it was kind of like the road to Damascus experience with Paul, you know? Sure, like, uh, sure. He didn't, he didn't mean just salvation. He meant he, he met calling, you know, he, he found his purpose. And so I just knew, you know, I heard the words, your life is not your own. And that started the journey, man. So it led to salvations of all my siblings and even my dad and led to all the things that I've been able to step into, you know, getting to lead a great community and do the things I do. So. How beautiful is that, bro? And, and especially because if it led to, the, you know, your family discovering their identity in Christ, then yeah. obviously some of the cultural nuances that you would have to navigate changed, right? Like that, that's a pretty powerful part of the story that they're in this with you now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's, that's I mean, really, really cool. Yeah. That's why, you know, I had to like, uh, it took forever for me to really be convinced that I should write us, uh, write us, um, um, write a book, you know, uh, but I had enough content because there's so many stories, you know, yeah. uh, best friend who grew up, grew up Hindu, uh, and, uh, or is Hindu and just having to have a conversation with him about coming to faith, about me coming to converting was even harder, uh, in a unique way to talk to my Muslim parents about it. So. Anyways. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So special, so cool, man. Like, I mean, I don't know, uh, I don't even know the right word to put to it, mm -hmm. right? Like, it's just supernatural is probably the best descriptor. I mean, yeah. it's just, it's, it's powerful. Yeah. Well, man, the, in this video that was shared today, you got to share about um, the idea of leading while bleeding. And I mean, unpack that just, just to, to kind of kick us off here. Unpack, even though I know our participants have watched the video, I think it's always helpful because people say redundancy is a good educator. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, they say redundancy is a good educator. Sorry, I had to do that. And so in that sense, uh, give a, just a quick recap of what, it, what were you really hoping they would catch uh, from this idea of leading while bleeding? Yeah, I think the big idea was uh, acknowledging that we're all going through this uh, pantramic uh, experience. And when I mean pantramic, it's like it's a global scale. We're all going through trauma of some kind. Yeah. And I think as uh, spiritual leaders, it's a uh, pit that we fall into. And the pit is that I have to be more faith-filled and more put together, more uh, knowing a sense of God is moving more optimistic than everybody else around me. Um, and, you know, and uh, that's how, you know, we tend to, uh, at least I tend to lead. I lead, I, I want to lead from a place of confidence and of, in one sense, power and authority, at least authority. And so, but when you're, and that's why I called it leading while bleeding. When you're bleeding, yeah. it's very hard to come across like I am full of power, full of authority. Um, and the truth is that I was beginning to do that. I was basically pretending like everything was good with me or good enough with me and yeah. that I was here for everybody else. And I shifted that, um, you know, maybe a month or two, I mean, no, a month into, um, into the pandemic because I noticed the way I was leading my staff, I had to just stop and say, hey, guys, I want to kind of, you know, in one sense, repent 
uh, or I, just, I fess up that I'm not okay. And so I'm having conversations with some of you guys and I'm getting annoyed really quickly and I don't usually do that. And, uh, I mean, and then I, I'm getting super excited about some things and I'm like super, you know, confident that God's going to do an amazing thing, uh, today. And then by, by tomorrow, I'm like, this is, we're stuck. It's not going to get any better. So I was just going up and down. So that led for me, it led me to kind of stop and go, I'm not okay. And so, um, it's been really, it's been a change in my leadership. It's been, it has allowed more grace, um, to come through me because I think God's grace is one of those that, uh, it's not one we just contain. It's, it's, it's really pure when it's God's grace, we get, it comes in through us and to, into the lives of people, you know? grace that just only we have for ourselves is, I don't know. I think it's not a grace because we don't yeah. get to share that. Yeah. That's just, I'm okay, you know, or, um, not really truly grace. So. No, it's so good. So good. And I think, yeah, I mean, I, a friend of mine, a leader, fellow leader, uh, colleague, he, I've heard him say in the last couple of years, several times, that trauma is the is the context of evangelism and disciple making for the 21st century, mm. and and I, and I think he's right on a lot of levels. But I think I think what's so beautiful about what you're suggesting is even the leader can't just tell everyone else why they need the gospel. We ourselves have to let people know why we need it, right? Like we we ourselves have to let people know why we ourselves um, mm-hmm. are in desperation for that kind of good news and for what that means, just even right. in the everyday of our lives, heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so yeah. I love that, man. I think that's so good. Why, why do you think it's so difficult for leaders to recognize and maybe even admit when, when we, you know, why, why, why is it easier to pretend maybe is a good way to ask the question than it really is to admit that we're bleeding. Oh man. Well, it's easier to pretend because, um, one, you come across really put together. So you come across with a lot of confidence. It's also easier because, uh, like I said earlier, uh, our position lends itself to that. It's, you know, it's like we do it in faith. You know how you you've heard the phrase, you fake it till you make it. Well, I think a lot of people are doing that and owning that and like not owning it as in admitting to it. They're just, they're, they're taking that as their mantra. I am going to fake it till I make it. And I'm going to do this for the sake of the gospel. And so what Mm -hmm. happens is, is that when you do it for the sake of the gospel or when you do it for the sake of leading people uh, or, or to, for the sake of, you know, helping others, what I think what we fail to understand is that is that we have to, like you said, we have to actually have uh, the gospel working through us. We have to have um, grace working through us. We have to allow people to understand that we that that more than us wanting to help people, we love people. So sometimes leadership is about like I just want to fix people and fix things and make things happen and build things. I want to build people. I want to build buildings. I want to build programs. But in the midst of all that, we actually lose sight of people. And so once you lose that, then you use humanity for something. And whenever you and I use humanity for anything, we, number one, we lose our own humanity because we are separate from them. And then we are asking them to become something or do something. So I think realizing that, that in the that understanding that leadership is about not like falling apart in front of people. I mean, that's, yeah, yeah. you know, the, you don't, you want to use people as therapy. You don't want to process out loud with people. I think that's the great balance. I think what happens is we go, well, we, I don't want to do that. So I just got to come across like I've got it together. No, there's actually a mix of things, you know? Yeah. Um, and one of the things that practically we, I've done is, is that, um, we, as a church have, uh, uh, we, we, uh, you know, we have, we have leaders, we have, um, volunteers, we have people, we have all cat- kinds of categories when it comes to leadership. Right. Uh, so we have this core, we call them the core people who give, serve, 
uh, bleed mosaic, you know? And so we used to have dinners with them. So we went to zoom meetings with them. And one of the first ones I had, I just was like, I was doing this number. I was like, and it felt like I was like, you know, like needing therapy. And I was like, Hey friends, I feel like I'm losing my mind. And so when I said that to the core leadership, they go, okay, uh, all right. And I'm like, I'll tell you why, because, and I just told them that there are days that I feel that God is with us. And then there are moments where I'm like, is this ever going to end? And man, that opened up people's, that actually opened up people's souls to more of the possibility of God working than me telling them, I am fully convinced that this is going to happen. Well, they're like, well, good, because I'm just going to believe you. I'm not going to, I can't take this. Like, I can't apply this. So I'll just, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get what you're saying. I mean, I think, like we said, there's this tension between all of a sudden having a therapy session in front of, you know, a crowd and versus letting people know the ways that maybe therapy has actually helped us or versus letting people know the way that we are having to remind ourselves of the truth Mm -hmm. in those moments where we begin to, even if we don't fully doubt it or unbelieve it, we definitely begin questioning things because we're wrestling through our emotions. It's like, it's like Jewish poetry where the Jewish poet typically in the old Testament poetry gives emotions first and then brings mm-hmm. the truth back to collide with mm-hmm. it near the end of the mm-hmm. poem. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's that, it's that tension of letting both of those come to the table. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as you're saying too, is, is one, uh, one good way to really understand what we're trying to say here in this conversation, because sometimes, you know, with leaders, you just want to know, okay, what is something I can apply? You know, what is something I can do? I don't want just ideas. I think, Again, it's, it's an idea, but it is so true. And that is, we have a shared trauma. We have a shared pandemic, but we also have a shared faith, a shared grace, shared gospel. And there's yeah. power in that collective. Like, like, that's mm-hmm. what communion is. So oh, that, that more than ever, we need to commune together. Like, yeah. So me sharing, hey, I'm losing my mind here. I am sharing doubt, but I'm also sharing faith. As in, mm, um, you know, like when I have, like I've told people this before and, you know, and I said, Hey, there are days I might not have faith. Um, but the good thing is because we're together that day, because you're with me, I do have the faith. And there yeah, are some you days you're not going to have it. That's right. Yeah. And so there's a collective power. There's a power in this collective. And mm. so the gospel works in our lives when we share it, not share it to save, share it to commune. You know, where we allow each other that. And I think this is a great opportunity for, for leaders to um, not walk in front, but walk beside yeah. linked arms through this. Yeah. That's huge. But it starts with us sharing our doubts, our faith, all of those things. Well, and I think, I think the pandemic is exposing much to what you're saying. I think the pandemic itself has exposed a lot of the American church from a leadership standpoint of Mm -hmm. what we kind of let ourselves get used to, right? Like we, we let ourselves get used to showing up and, and being on a platform and communicating the, you know, this, this, this being an orator basically in a way that, that communicated something that we were trying to give hope to people, or we were trying to fix the things that they were wrestling with. And now we get a chance, I think in the midst of this, like you said, to really commune together and, and recognize whose we are in Christ together. And that, mm-hmm. that's really significant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, and I think, and I think the challenge too is for us to understand that, and me being a guy who planted Mosaic about 14 years ago, uh, you know, I mean, I'm a, I'm a, like you said, I'm a Pakistani, um, ex-Muslim, born in the Middle East, came to here after the, uh, after the Gulf War 92, but then went through 9-11 with all of us and then plants a church in the South called Mosaic, which sounds a lot like mosque, you know? So it's like, so my challenge as a church planter has been um, 
quite interesting. And, and I can't really find people that can relate with me because I'm trying to find another, you know, Pakistani ex-Muslim plant, church planter, but I can't seem to find one. Uh, and I'm like, <laughs> that's why they don't do this. They're not dumb. Uh, that's why. And so there are days that I'm like, what am I even doing? I got to convince yeah. people it's going to be okay. And that I'm not a terrorist. And I'm not like, you know, so what's going on? And so it's so easy for me to kind of sometimes go, I, I, you know, I, I, I don't know, I don't know what I'm doing, but I need to, I need to be successful. So what I do is, and what most church leaders do, I think it's like you find measurements of success and you try to hit them. And as a church guy, you got to have, you know, people in seats, right? They call them butts in seats. And so mm. the measurement of success for me became, you know, certain things like, how many people we got? How many people are in this group? How many people in that group? How many people are attending? How many people are giving? You know, all of those things. And so that was my, you know, a level or measurement of success. So if you were to ask me, hey, how's church? I'm like, I count those things and I go, pretty good. Pretty good. Well, well right now, those things go, went away. Yeah. So then my identity of, not identity, but my security of, you know, when people say, how's the church? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> That's right. Well, well, I mean, giving is good. <laughs> you know, online attendance was great, and then everybody got sick of it. Sure. Uh, so, you know, I mean, what you know? So then it's like, uh, well, I, I, I think people, you know, I don't even know who's with me, like who's with us, right? So I don't know. So that, that's, that's gone away. And I think that's really allowed me to go, okay, okay, what is discipleship? Like, really? Yeah, that's right. That's right. It's good. So, well, and, that, and, and you're hitting on something that I think hopefully every one of our, our participants is, is feeling with you because I think that's what the pandemic has done. It's caused a lot of leaders in church culture to say, well, what do we do now? Right. Like what right. the things that we used to feel like we were doing okay at have almost all been stripped away. And, and uh, in Hebrews 12, at the end of Hebrews 12, it talks about the consuming fire that God is and how in mm -hmm. that refinement, the things that will last will be, you know, will, will may, remain, but other things will be broken and, and shaken away. And, and that's what this has been in a lot of ways. The ebb and flow of all of this, the ups and downs probably has created a new, a, a better understanding for how to be empathetic with people, right? And you encourage leaders to have and develop empathy. H mm -hmm. How would you encourage those that are participating with us today to grow in empathy? I mean, what, because, you know, and I think you hit it a while ago, it's sometimes mm -hmm. it's that self-awareness that, that makes me more others aware, Right. Like mm -hmm. I, when I become mm -hmm. more aware of my own needs, I become more aware often of others. But but how do you encourage those that are participating to grow in empathy? You, you say it's super important. How, how can you encourage them? In that? Yeah, I think the, the first way to be super practical is understanding that um, that your you are in pain and in trauma with everybody else, but no one is going to get you. Yeah. Like, like uh, really like I, Jason, I mean, I don't, I don't know exactly the, the nuance of your pain and the things you stress about and the things you're worried about. I don't know. You know, yeah. uh, sometimes even the closest people to us don't understand because they're not in our heads. They're not, they don't know the thoughts we're thinking and yeah. we're thinking all kinds of crazy thoughts. Like, yeah. You know, right now, I mean, I'm giving people, everybody grace. Like, I'm like, I don't like, that's why I'm telling people don't make any major decisions right now because you don't even, <laughs> that's right. you're not even who you are. Like you don't that's even right. know. We're all so, out of sorts, right? That's right. Yeah. So, you know, like just, just, okay. So, so you know, on, so I think number one, understanding that no one's going to get you and uh, is a good place to start because you're not going to get no one either. Yeah. So, so that means I can't relate. I mean, I can generally relate, but I, there's got to be something else I've got to, um, to connect 
uh, with you, you know, I got to use something. And I think that's empathy. It's, 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 it's understanding that I'm never going to be in your space and you're never going to be in my space, but that doesn't mean we can't have a shared space. Sure. So I think that's number one. Number one is, is, uh, asking, uh, asking people that we counsel with, talk to, go, just acknowledging their uniqueness about like, I'm never going to understand. Because I think as leaders, we want to say, oh, I totally get it. Yeah. Well, you don't. Well, you don't get no, it. No, we don't. Yeah. We sometimes, don't get it. Sometimes, sometimes it's better. To, sometimes I think it's more believable if we can just admit, I don't, I don't fully understand what you're going yeah. through, but, I'm, yeah. but I'm, I'm willing to be here with you in it. Right? Like, right. I, you know, that that piece of it probably is a lot more um, trust building than if we would pretend like we did know or did understand because we don't. Uh, yeah. We, we, we just don't, we don't know. We don't know. I mean, case in point, like, you know, with, uh, we have a pretty diverse community. And so talking to say a single black woman mm-hmm. versus a married Hispanic woman who became a national citizen, who became a citizen, um, you know, a couple of years ago. Walk, counseling them through what this pandemic, what all these things mean and the highly politicized everything. Mm-hmm. I, I, like there is no standardized, you yeah. know, like script. Because right. I don't, I don't understand what a single black woman is going through every day. Like I don't yeah. know. And for me to pretend like I totally get it is just a lie, <laughs> you know, uh, for yeah. the sake of wanting to love them. I think the most loving thing you can say is I'm never, I'm never going to be ever be able to understand the pain you're going through. Yeah. That, that language doesn't say I can't help you. Like, you know, that's not a language that says I'm pushing you away. That no, actually says we're going to find, we're going to find common space here, you know? Yeah. And so, I mean, in my talk, I was like, that's what Jesus did. You know, like Jesus was very much other than us. Um, mm-hmm. But yet uh, he always created a space where you could, you could share that same space with him. Yeah, no you know? doubt. So. No doubt. No, that's so good. It's so important. Uh, questions come in. I want to I uh, yeah. lean into it here for a second. Well, along the lines of what we just said, what's an indicator of a bleeding leader who needs to step away versus a bleeding leader who needs to stay and push through their pain as they lead. Mm. You want me to read it again? Oh. Yeah. No, uh, no I, I think it's not going to be an easier question if you read it again. <laughs> <laughs> <That's right. laughs> uh, we could just delay and not and be, oh, be done with our time. But uh, that's a great Great question. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I heard one statistic say that seventy percent of leaders, church leaders, are wanting to quit these days, or like <laughs> trying to find another job. Sure. So, so what is the difference between one who uh, uh, needs to step a step away, and there is one, and, and the person who needs to push through it? I think the biggest indication for me, um, my opinion would be is, is the leader who has to step away is the leader who does not acknowledge it and everybody else is saying you need to step away. Yeah. If you're feeling I need to step away, you probably need to push through it because you have that much self-awareness and you got, you still are allowing God's spirit to listen and uh, to talk to you. Yeah. Uh, leaders who just just stifle the Holy spirit uh, or they just, he's talking, God's showing, they just don't want to listen. They just don't want to listen. Um, those are the people who need to step away. And case in point is like, I look at some leaders, high profile leaders, then that you want to go, it didn't need to end this way. Hmm. It didn't need to end this way. This could have ended yeah. so much better. Yeah. Now it's a disaster. Sure. So I think it's connected to the people around you. If your staff is saying you need to step away, yeah, then maybe it's worth looking into that. 
Well, and you, you, I think I agree. And I think, I think the, like, think about that. Think about healthy staff culture, healthy leadership culture. But, you know, I know Pete Scazzaro talks about it all the time, the, the ideas mm-hmm. of emotionally healthy persons, leadership, that kind of thing. When you, when you process, when you have a leadership culture around you where people can be honest about their struggles mm-hmm. and yet, and yet we remain with each other. Um, I think it's obviously a much safer space, right? Like how, how, how do we, how do we encourage, how, how do leaders create that safe of a space so that, so that you do have the ability, you have the environment in which you can say, I know I'm struggling. I do need to push through it and endure. I don't need to quit. Right. Mm-hmm. Like what, what's that element of what, what do you cultivate for to create that safe space? Mm. I mean, this seem, might seem elementary, but I've used this for in other relationships and even with my staff. And that is, is when I'm, when I'm trying to express an opinion, trying to express a thought uh, uh, or trying to lead. Uh, and I, I will say things like, hey, this is something I'm feeling and this is something I know. Like, mm, so what I'm feeling might it is it's true because I'm feeling it. So I'm being authentic and telling you and being very true and honest. And I'm being honest with my feelings, but honesty doesn't mean it's truth. Yeah. Right. So I'm very on, honestly, I'm telling you, I cannot have this conversation right now. Sure. Uh, but I, what I know to be true is I love you and I will, we will walk through this. Yeah. But right now I want to punch your face. <laughs> like, you know, like, so. Yeah. Throat uh, jabs galore. That's right. That's right. Right. So I think what happens is, is that I think sometimes with we're leading, we got to let our staff know, Hey, I'm just feeling this. I, this is not, this might not be true. Yeah. This is probably not true. Okay. But I'm just, I'm just feeling this. Um, I'm just feel like, so I think, but once we go, Oh, well, all feelings are truth. Well, then we got a problem. Yeah, that's when it, yeah, right. they may be valid. They may be valid, but it doesn't mean they're truth. And, you know, yeah. emotions and, and truth have to stay in a collision and this tension mm-hmm. or else one or else truth becomes a wrecking ball or emotions become a spiral that we can't get out of. Right. And right. so, right. you know, somehow they, they hold a tension that keeps us spinning. I mean, yeah. I know, I know for me, I'm, I'm somebody that has dealt with uh, chronic depression since I was young and, 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 and what kind of processed through the ebb and flow of that, even as a leader. Um, and, you know, like even today, like if I'm honest, bro, I didn't really want to do this call. So, and I'll just be vulnerable in that way, mm-hmm. but, but, but push through. And I think the thing that allows me to stay in the game is about seven years ago, I had the people around me that said, we support you and you have us as support. And I think if you mm-hmm. have created environments where you've got people that are aware of your shortcomings, just as much as you're aware of their shortcomings, or are they aware of your own emotional ups and downs, just as much as you're aware of theirs and you're mm-hmm. getting help and you, or if you need therapy, or, I mean, I think you hit it on the head. If you, if you're leaning into it instead of denying it, then I think it's okay to stay and endure. If you're denying it, you probably need to step back and take a breath mm-hmm. and say, Hey, other people are recognizing this. I need to wake up and see it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a, you know, it's, it's, it is a very, it's, uh, it's not, it's not, it's a safe place, but it's a very unsettling place to be in where you yeah. allow people who you are leading to speak into uh, your feelings. That's right. That's, that's tough. That's tough. Um, it's easier to just de- de- detach from them, you know. Yeah. It's just so much easier, and that's why in my talk, I uh, the, the the what I wanted to make sure people understood was, you know, even you had Jesus uh, at the Garden of Gethsemane, that's right, um, being very vulnerable. Like yep. he's like, I'm freaking out right now, guys. I mean, could you imagine what would that For do real? to you? You're Can like, you imagine uh, what you're they thought. Supposed- what they- yeah, they, they've seen him raise people. They've seen him raise people from the dead, right? And like now, here he right. is saying, "Like I'm freaking yeah. out right now." So yeah, but he's like, I think what he's saying is, I know this, but I'm freaking out. Like yeah. it's like the whole like, I don't want to drink this cup, but I want your will be done, your kingdom yeah. come. Yeah. So I think, I think, um, 
I think when we allow our staff to kind of, uh, you know, so we did this, we, we started doing this on zoom. Um, and then we do it now too, is like, we just have check-ins, you know, we're like, yeah. we go through an agenda for our staff, but we just go, Hey, how are we, uh, how are we feeling? And how are we feeling doesn't mean you got to give me a faith answer, you know, like, sure. oh, the Lord is blah, blah, blah. No, yeah. no, no. Just, no. How you feel? How are we doing? How are we doing? Are we doing good? Are we, are we feel? And that, that it, it doesn't require um, people to give spiritual answers. And it's very tough when you are so used to an environment that everybody's super spiritual. That is the toughest place, you know, because what happens is, is that people will take feelings and spirituality and they'll connect them, which is sometimes very hard, especially when you use language to connect the two, as in, you feel this, but you say, ah, the Lord is just saying, well, the Lord's not saying that. That's not, that's not saying, he's not saying that. He's, yeah. no, no, you just mixed it. You just, you just like, you know, I just feel the Lord is telling us, no, you're just feeling it. Yeah. Um, the Lord is somewhere in the middle of feeling and truth. He's in there. Sure. You know, um, so I, I would even just tell people like, it's okay to, to it's okay to have like non-spiritual language in the midst of this trauma. It actually yeah. helps you. Yeah. It actually helps you. Um, yeah, like real because, real life language in the middle of real trauma. life language. Yeah, and and that'll actually help not just you, but see the people you lead because the people you lead work with people who are not in spiritual environments. And mm -hmm. so sometimes what we do is we we if we keep using languages like that. If you if I solve a problem for a someone in my community, some of my, you know, a congregant, uh, and I give them, this is a solution to the, uh, the, the anxiety they're having. And it's all wrapped up in spiritual language. They can't take that and apply it to the office. Sure. Cause it don't work. The only, yeah. the only way they could do it is, well, I'll just pray for you. But if there are ways that we can practically un, you know, unspiritualize those a little bit, I mean, obviously, yeah. you know, it's, it is God's spirit working in us and through us. Of course, we know that. But, but if we can help people understand and help people um, um, resolve their problems and deal with their trauma or go process their trauma in, in our environments, chances are they can actually be the light of the world in the world. Um, yeah, yeah. But if one of the questions, one of the questions that came in says, what does discipleship in a pandemic look like for churches and church leadership? And I think what you just said is the answer to that question, right? Like what it really needs to look like right now. And I'm, and I'm only saying this for the sake of time, I'm, mm -hmm. instead of just stopping and letting you answer it, but mm -hmm. repeating what you just said, right? Like what it really needs to look like right now is, is we've got to be able to translate what is true into what we're feeling, into what we're processing, into, and, and then if we can do that, if we can preach that gospel to ourselves in that way, in honest, everyday, real language, it's almost like instead of stopping and thinking, this is what I think of God, we start flipping it and saying, what does God think of me? And, and then we, mm -hmm. we, de, we de-religious, we unreligiosity all of that language to pull it back into, this is what I'm really saying in my head to myself right now and in my heart right now. But Jesus, this is what you're saying to me, but you're meeting me where I'm feeling. Like you're not telling me, hey, suck it up. Right. Jesus is not telling us to suck it up. Right. No, no. Like he, no. And you know, that's the thing is he, he, but he is meeting us there and then we're able to receive the truth in the middle of that. That's what helps us make it another step, another breath, another day. And, yeah. and when we can process it like that, I think it, I think it a lot when disciple making moves from, I'm just doing a Bible study in which I can tell you what the Bible is about and I pull right. it into, but no, this is what that message now does to define my own framework of thinking, my own emotions. Right. That's when disciple making really comes alive in the midst of a traumatic culture. For sure. For sure. Um, and if I could just, you know, I know we're, uh, short on time, you know, uh, to, to answer that in a very super practical way in, in terms of right now, what I'm doing and I'm sharing with my staff is Galatians five, the fruits of the mm -hmm. spirit and the passion translation does a great job with it. And mm -hmm. I just told our staff just the last week, I said, okay, at the end of this, um, this is what we need to know. This is how we know that God's working in us because he is the great, you know, he's the great, 
uh, uh, vine dresser. We are branched in to Jesus. Okay, so God is trying to do something to us. He's trying to take us to a place, grow us to a uh, to a space. He's trying to mature us. And so here's what it says. Can I just read this to you in Galatians yeah, please. five? Please. It says this. It says the fruit of the spirit that's produced by the Holy spirit within you. That's number one. So you have to allow God to work in you feelings, truth, all of that being very honest, open. So you allow the Holy spirit who's living within you. Um, and here's what, he's, what, this is what he wants to do. He wants to produce this divine love. So he covers everything with divine love. And he says, and this is how it's expressed. And this is the passion translation. It says it's expressed in this ways. Number one, joy that overflows peace that subdues patience that endures kindness in action, a life full of virtue, faith that prevails, gentleness of heart and strength of spirit. Hmm. And then I, as I think of these, I go, if, if it, this has got to be the thing for discipleship. Like yeah. if we are not growing in these, allowing the Holy Spirit to prune and do his work. If we're not creating people that have a joy that overflows, that have a peace that subdues, that have patience that endures, if there's no kindness in action. If there's no faith that prevails, if there's no gentleness of heart and there's mm -hmm. no strength of spirit, then I don't even know what we're doing. Like, sure. What are we making disciples of, right? Like that's we're, not, we're not making disciples. We're just entertaining and kumbayaing and having amazing concerts and cool t-shirts. I mean, that's pretty much it. <laughs> well, let's close with this question. I think it's a, I think it's a meaningful one that someone sent in. Um, they're saying that they were a missionary in non-Western, and it goes along with what you just said is why, by the way, I felt like we needed to make sure and get this one in. Someone is saying they were a missionary in a non-Western culture where people look to status and position. Leaders were expected to be strong. Mm -hmm. what do you do in a context where maybe a leader's hesitant? Mm -hmm. And what do you do if you don't have a friend that you can share openly with in order to grow in those things, in order to deal with how we're bleeding mm -hmm. as a leader? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the first thing I would say is like, you know, Jesus came as a baby and then he was referred to as a lamb. So everybody in that time was expecting authority in the Messiah to be synonymous. Mm. And he came as the opposite. So uh, I think the number one, you can relate, like you're going to go against the grain. Mm. So I think there's some, uh, there's a, there's a breath in there. Like, okay. All right. Uh, so people all just because there's a pressure to become and be this great person just the pressure to come in you know on on a riding on a horse no i'll come on a donkey <laughs> you know like sure, sure even though there's a pressure for that i am being like jesus i am being the leader that jesus wants yeah. so number one that's that because all of those because you 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 will either gain and me i'm coming from a um Pakistani culture and Arab culture as well. I grew up in authority and privilege and like a sense of power is, is so important. Uh, honor yeah. and shame culture, all of that. So if you come across weak, you are weak. Sure. So I, you know, so, but I will tell you, like, if you as a leader are in a, if you want spiritual authority or you want physical authority, if you want spiritual authority, you have to be like Jesus. You have to be that lamb. You have to be that. You have to be true to that because you're going to have so much spiritual power because there's obviously, obviously, um, we're fighting against enemies that are not of this flesh and not of this blood. We're fighting against principalities of darkness and all that. So all the things we are doing here, we're not just having church and doing discipleship. And do, no, there is a darkness we're coming against. So you and I, yeah, we might look great and in power when it comes to the people around us. And they go, man, oh my gosh, look at that. Such a powerful person, such a powerful person. But they do not make even demons look twice. <laughs> and then you got other people who come across like, oh, what a, what, a, what a weakling. Oh, rides on the lamp. Oh, he doesn't even, I'm a real rabbi. Doesn't even do this, doesn't even do that. And demons know him by name. Hmm, so, 
there is a, so that's one. The other is Jesus, man. What did he do? He found his own tribe. Yeah. He found not the rabbis who would understand what he was trying to do. He found yeah. disciples. He found people who he could go, I'm losing my mind. I don't want to do this. Um, I think you got to find your people. And, and that's very important as a spiritual leader. Number one, you remember, be strong in the spirit. Number two, find two or three people, maybe even one. It's tough to yeah. find some people you can just kind of just be honest with and keep that tight and don't think that your people you lead um, are going to understand sheep in a sense, don't understand what a shepherd goes through. Um, mm. They don't need to. And you don't need to put, you don't need a shepherd talking to a sheep, trying to understand his day. Like that doesn't work. Mm. Um, find some people who you can relate to. So I would say that, I mean, that's the best thing, but don't uh, shy away from doing the things you know you need to, to do. Hope yeah, that that's helped. good. No, it does help. It does help. I think that's great. And, and the finding your own tribe. And I'll just say, here, I'll practice empathy. Uh, for a minute, I'll say to that participant, whoever sent that in, I think those of us involved with this are fairly well networked. If you're willing to be honest about where you're at and you can send that into us, I think we can do our best to even try to, mm. to help you find a few folks that are in your area that you might could link to, because sometimes people are new in an area or they've, they've come to an area as a leader and they haven't found that tribe. Um, maybe we can help. I'm not saying we can for sure. There's no guarantee, right. but we're, I'm willing to try. Right. So if you'll, yeah. if you'll uh, message that in and, and one of our guys can get that to us, you know, we can try to process a little bit and even ask around and try to find if there's a tribe near you that you could connect with a group of leaders that you could engage with. But I love what you said, because I think it's so important. It's, it's the difference in being weak and meek, right? As Jesus talks about that in the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, I, mm -hmm. I think people mistake. Mm -hmm. I, I don't oh, yeah. think you're. I, I don't think you're weak when you show weakness. I think you probably actually are strong if you're willing to show. And oh. if, if you're willing to say I am weak, it actually probably mm -hmm. is a greater demonstration of strength than pretending like you never are. Uh, yeah, I, I think I tweeted or Instagrammed or something. Which I think uh, a couple of weeks ago, like don't mistake. Uh, you know, meekness for weakness, mm, like, good. It, because it's, yeah. I mean, it sounds a little cheesy, but it's so true. Like people who have to defend their position and power are probably the most insecure. Mm. And so whenever you find someone trying to hold on, trying to prove, trying to, um, front, it's always a sign, sign of deep, uh, deep, uh, weakness, uh, yeah. true weakness. Yeah. Um, so it's the people that don't need anybody to defend them. It's the people who, who say, you know, you won't have, you don't have any power over me unless it was given to you by my father. Like, I don't need yeah. to, I don't need yeah. to come, you know? So, um, yeah. Yeah. No, and so I'll, I'll, I'll also say this and just, just to end here, just, is that, you know, that's why I wanted to talk about this because I feel like there's so many pastors and so many leaders who, um, who are struggling and who are looking at other people and going, man, I just wish I was more consistent. Mm -hmm. I just wish I was more put together. I just wish I had to get it together. I, I just get it together. And yeah. it's okay right now. It's okay. But you, don't, you can't stop, but you shouldn't stop. You know, in a sense, like you got to fight through this. You got to move through this, but it's okay. You're not inconsistent. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. You know, so anyway. Well, and if anything, if anything, this moment, in my opinion, this is my opinion, you may disagree. So this last thing I'll throw out there um, to get your opinion on. I think we have a moment right now, especially in American culture, but I think even globally, we have a moment to demonstrate an authority and earn respect in authority in a different way than we ever have. We have a chance to mm -hmm. build a relational authority through our vulnerability, through our 
honesty, through our empathy, through a leaning into justice, even when we're mm. not feeling the joy that we, mm. you know, like even, even when it's more difficult to lean into justice, right? We have this moment right now where we may gain authority if we respond and let the fruit of the Spirit come, right? Versus the way sometimes we've typically done it, which is we look like we're the smartest in the room or the most mm-hmm. powerful in the room or are the ones who have it together. And, and now we're in a culture war because we need to tell the culture how they need to get it together. When maybe we're in a moment where we need to say, maybe we didn't have it together all the time, mm-hmm. all this time. Maybe we just need to get honest about that. So true. So true. So true. I mean, um, we were just having a conversation. Uh, we're doing a, We did a series called Glow. We do it every year, talking about being the light of, light of the world. And one of the thoughts we we were discussing was this idea of like, you know, that um, we have to take light, light, true light. God's light will actually lead us into people, other people's darkness. Mm. Um, that that's what happens. And so, yeah. uh, and the light that actually is like, we, I have the light of Jesus, and I keep it to myself. That's that's something else, but the light of what the light, when Jesus says, you're the light of the world, he's saying, I walk into and step into other people's darkness. Hmm. And, uh, and I think like, like you said, I think the church has a great opportunity right now in the midst of all kinds of darkness, despair, and all kinds of uh, uh, cynicism, all kinds of division, all kinds hmm. of just culture wars, political wars, race wars. We have a huge opportunity to be light which means you have to have the fruits of the spirit and to walk those into it and actually move towards light. You know, that's why Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against it because yeah. we're actually going to hell. Like we're going to the gates and knocking. So light actually leads us into darkness, even yeah. though the whole idea of spirituality is, well, you come out of darkness because now you have the light, but with Jesus is always the reverse, isn't it? So, um, in fact, the first time he mentions I'm the light of the world is right after he, um, he uh, steps into and in front of the woman, the, the, the guys who was trying to stone the woman who was caught mm-hmm. in adultery. I mean, yeah. right after that, he says, hey, by the way, I'm the light of the world. This is why I did that. Mm-hmm. So anyways, no, anyways so yeah, we have a great opportunity. We have a great opportunity. Yeah, and may we and may we lean into that. I mean, I, I I'd say that can be a prayer for us as we as we wrap up today. What you just described. May we lean into the ways that we're bleeding and be honest about them. May we may we lean into the ways that we have a chance to to set aside the scripted narratives that get handed to us by all these different domains of influence, and instead lean into the narrative of Jesus. May that be. Um, Mm. may that be our lives. Well, Mm. if you're a participant with us today, we we hope that you've enjoyed it. We hope that you uh, appreciated what uh, Naeem has had to say, what he shared in the video, what he shared in the dialogue together. And you can get the Divided No More Candid Conversations resource kit uh, if you haven't already. If you haven't already signed up for it, you can get that resource kit. You can go... um, you can go to, and now I'm drawing a blank on where to go to. Uh, you can go to, um, I think it's multipliers. I'm looking on here and I'm not seeing it. So forgive me. Let me look at my, let me look Google. and see. You can go to right. Google. Go to Google it, right? <laughs> Divided no more resource kit. There you go. Forgive me though. Forgive me. I know I've, I usually have it down and I'm drawing a blank right now on what, where you specifically go, but um, you go, you register for it, you get these different uh, these different ideas. It's multiplication.org slash kit. Thank you, Brooks. Multiplication.org slash kit. And you can register there and you can uh, get these phenomenal resources that a lot of different leaders from various tribes have put together to help encourage us to grow together in oneness. And like Jesus prayed in John 17, for the maturing of our oneness so that people believe in the one who is sent. And may this, we just hope that this resource kit encourages and equips and enables us to move further and further into that direction. Any final thoughts, Naeem, before we jet? Uh, anything you want to you leave us with? Oh, man. Um, hmm. I think we've shared a whole lot. I think we shared a whole <laughs> lot. Uh, I mean, the last thing I, uh, I thought, but it doesn't really, it really doesn't, I mean, it can, it, it's, it's, it's connects to me because it's, it's personal, mm. but my daughter's name, Noura, 
like yeah, that you were mm. trying to pronounce. It's so noor actually <laughs> is light, is Arabic. Mm. So Noura is that. So wow. we named her after uh, the idea of her being a light into this world. And uh, so awesome. um, just to make it kind of interesting, you know, so that's why I'm praying over all of us mm. that you guys would be Noura, would be Noor. Um, so I just pray that um, we have a great potential uh, to, to not just um, possess, you know, uh, the light of the world, but to proclaim it, uh, to allow it to um, not shine within us, but also out of us. And yeah. the world right now is desperately watching because the biggest question right now is for the church uh, or for people is not, uh, is Christianity real or is it, uh, is it, is it relevant or is it, um, uh, is it, you know, they're just trying to figure out what is it because yeah. there is a, they don't, they're, they're seeing a lot of different ideas here. Yeah, it's a been lot of different ideas, right? Yeah, so Sorry. so much. So this is a great opportunity for us as a mosaic. You know, our mission, the reason why we exist, is to reclaim the message and the movement of Jesus. Yeah. Uh, so I would just say, I think this is a great opportunity for the whole church to reclaim um, the message and the movement of Jesus. We have a, I mean, this is a great time to do that. We can, we have, a, we have an opportunity to do that. So. That's my prayer that we would it. do that with God's light. Yeah, I love it, and may that uh, that may that be so that we would be neuron and like like we've even said already that we would allow even how we need the light in our own darkness to be communicated. Oh, yeah. yeah, and and we so neuron to us. This. Yeah, it's right. exactly right. It's exactly right, yeah. man. It's been a joy. It's been a joy to me. I hope our participants have appreciated this as much as I've enjoyed connecting with you today, Naeem, and I. Thank you for your leadership. Thank you for your vulnerability. Thank you for being Nura. Nura. I, am I saying it even close? Yeah, to you're correct? saying it right. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for being that uh, to us, and and uh, we're grateful. So, and thanks to our participants for being a part of it today. And hope you'll join us again next Thursday at two o'clock Eastern time for the Divided No More Candid Conversations. Thanks.